and so I think that I think that aspect of his music is really interesting to me as well. Um, the way that he interwe- interweaves biblical themes and religious and spiritual themes into his music, and that he's referred to. You know, he writes a lot of songs about characters who are who are economically depressed yeah. and in situations. And um, I, I, for a lot of these reasons, I kind of consider him like an, a new David. Like a lot of these songs of longing, they feel like kind of contemporary psalms to me. everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lessing Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, and today we have a double shot of our baby's love. Not only do I have a massive Springsteen fan, but I have a musician in his own right, and so we are going to talk Bruce, we are going to talk about music, and in what I think is very cool a combination of the two, but we'll get to that in a little bit. In the meantime, Kevin, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Why don't you give us, tell us, my listeners, a little about yourself. Give us your elevator pitch. My elevator pitch for me? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Uh, I'm a singer-songwriter born and raised in Dayton, Ohio, and um, I didn't start really playing guitar until probably midway through high school. And, um, you know, I think like any high school, middle school, high school kid, I, I, you know, enjoyed whatever the top 10 were on pop radio. But my dad has an amazing record collection. And, um, you know, I, that's, that was my bread and butter growing up was classic rock. And so when Napster, I think Napster first came out when I was in eighth grade and I just went on a binge, you know, getting, getting all the audio you know, low quality MP3 audio files of all the songs that my dad had on records and would just burn them onto CDs. And, um, so classic rock was really, that was what I wanted to first learn and figure out how to play as I was teaching myself guitar. So, um, so there was some Springsteen yeah. in there. There was, was some Springsteen. What's that? So I've got to stop you. Is Dayton considered Northeast Ohio? No, Dayton is Southwest. Okay, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, Youngstown, right? It would have been. Okay. I went to, so I went to school in Steubenville, which is very close okay, to Youngstown. Okay, there you go. Okay, yeah. very nice. Yes. And, uh, um, yeah, but I, you know, so I, I had a, a nostalgic attachment to Springsteen. Yeah. For that, for that reason. And our, my dad had, he, you know, he had one of those VHS video camera mm-hmm. recorders. Yeah that you hold on your shoulder. You have the full-size VHS tape you record onto. And our home videos start um, around Christmas 1985, so I'm a year and a half old. Mm-hmm. And the music, for, for the first 10 minutes, the music that you can hear in the background is the Born in the USA record. And, uh, yeah, and, and you so truly I... truly have your whole life, Bruce has been involved. Well, yeah, but... 
for the most part, it was just as kind of that memory. You know, that's where mm-hmm. our, our home videos began. Sure. And, and my sister and I, we used to love to dance. We would dance in the dark to Dancing in the Dark around the, <laughs> around the Christmas tree. And, um, and so that's kind of where I think the sentimental or nostalgic attachment to it began. But once I had moved away from home, I was living in, lived in DC for about five years after college. And I, uh, that was when I first dove in to Bruce's music and really listened to it and digested it and started reading a lot about him and reading interviews. Good. So I want to get back to that. I always like to start and you've already kind of touched on this, but growing up, you said your dad had a massive record collection. So was the family musical? Was music played a lot? How about your mom? And um, do you have other siblings besides your sister? I'm, oh yeah, I'm one of five. Okay. Um, The, uh, I'm the only one that plays an instrument. My dad played trumpet. Okay. Um, but I, which I didn't even know until I was in middle school. So I think he, I think he sold it at some point. But he was in the marching band in high school. So they're all, they all have good pitch, and I think they all, I think they all have good voices. But they're, it's never been their inclination to do it or to go out and do it. So. You guys aren't the Osmonds or the Jackson Five. No, um, no. Singing around the campfire. Um, no. What kind of music does your mom like? Oh, let's see. I think so. My, I would. I guess I'll say it this way. My fondest memory is every morning, growing up before school, uh, the music that would wake that I would hear from my bedroom. She would, she had this cassette tape that was, I think it was the best of Loggins and Messina. Ah, nice. Yeah. So when my wife and I got married and I did the first, the, did the dance with my mom at the reception, we danced to, uh, is it, is it change, change of love? Is yeah, that it? I think yeah. so. Yeah, yeah. So that was the one I danced. Cause that was just, I remember hearing that song every morning, getting ready oh. for breakfast. So oh, that's nice. She, you know, she definitely, <laughs> it's, it's that funny thing, you know, where I'm in, I, she, she likes classic rock too, for sure. Sure. Um, but you know how, you know how parents will kind of try to hide a little bit of that part of themselves when you're growing up. Mm-hmm. So I remember hearing a song came on the radio when I was young, and it I don't know what the line was, but it was a little a little risque for kids. So she turned the channel because yeah, we're not going to listen to that. <laughs> and she so she turned the channel. And what came on next on the classic rock station was ACDC, Dirty Deeds, Done Dirt Cheap, and she just cranked it. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. That's fun. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's good. Uh, where are you in the hierarchy of the five children? I'm number two. Okay. Yeah. And there's um, a big – Yeah. yeah. No, there's, a, there's a big gap between the uh, the lower two. My mm-hmm. younger brother is 20 – what year is it? 2020. Okay, my younger brother is almost 29, and then my youngest sister is six. Just turned 16. Did our so. uh, we siblings come up a lot in this uh, podcast? And um, often, if you're the older, you influenced your younger siblings on music, <laughs> and if you're the younger, you either were influenced either positively or negatively. In other words, because your older brother or sister really liked you know, X amount of music, you either embraced it or you rebelled against it. So um, you're kind of in the middle, I guess the upper, you know. So um, 
are you an influencer or an influencee? Oh, I don't know. We all honestly, we all have such different personalities. I think my older sister and I might have the closest taste, mm-hmm. um, you know, because we we were both around my dad blasting all of his records the right. longest. So I think it stuck with us the okay. most. Interesting. Yeah. Good. So um, you 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 kind of touched on this. So you went through um, your normal high school rebellion. I guess uh, been the late nineties, <laughs> early two thousands would have been high school for you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What do you mean by high school rebellion? Oh well, uh, I'm saying <laughs> just you're, in terms of music yeah, against pop music. culture. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh man. Um, it's hard. It's hard to say, honestly. I, I have, I've never not liked classic rock. Okay. Um, and I don't, I don't feel like it was forced on me. I, I feel like I was just, I always found it musically a lot more interesting. Okay. Than everything else, you know. I remember being in, uh, I think it was my sophomore year of high school. I got my driver's license and I, I went. To, I was at Meyer or something, and they had for like seven dollars in the CD section, uh, Boston's first album on CD, and so I I bought it so we could play it in the car. And my cousins and I, we would just each pick an air instrument, and uh, I think it's the the song Four Play Long Time, which has mm-hmm. the like the two and a half minute really interesting musical intro Mm -hmm. uh we would just kind of take turns playing the air instruments on it and like that was our um how fun yeah so i i don't know i okay that's that's an interesting question i now there were definitely a couple more contemporary bands that i really really got into that i still really love the counting crows is a is a big one for me yes um and i think i think it's because even though musically you know, it doesn't have a classic rock feel, almost like an alt folk rock vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, Adam Duritz has that, you know, Bob Seger, Springsteen-esque yeah. um, uh, tendency in his songwriting. You know, he sings about specific people yes. in places. Last and, year, um, and I cannot remember who it was, but someone joined me um, – you know, Kevin, I do B-side episodes um, where if I find someone who's really passionate about another artist, um, we have them on and we have the same discussion that we do with Springsteen fans, and I call them B-sides. Okay. Um, and so I had a Counting Crows, and I, I can't remember the guest, but it was a really passionate discussion. He talked about one of their songs live. They actually will do part of Thunder Road in it. And, um, you oh, know, nice. he shared how much he loved the Counting Crows. And, and the episode we're discussing about is Dan Pilling and the Counting Crows that came out September 13th, 2018. So a year and a half ago, Jesse, but you did remember. Um, you can find that where you find all your favorite set listing Bruce episodes. Now back to the show. They have a unique voice, and, and as I made the joke, you know, they're a lot more than just the um, the song from, um, you know, uh, the animated movie, right? 
Right. Yeah. Oh, so, uh, yeah. Shrek, the yeah, accidentally Shrek, in love. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's pretty poppy, even yes. for them. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, cool. Well, you've kind of shared that you're out of college, you're living in D.C. Can you remember why you started digging into Bruce's lyrics and why it started speaking to you? Yeah, well, so I've always been a lyrics guy. Okay. Um, I don't know if I should say always, but, you know, since I started writing them. Yes. Um, I I can't – so I can't really remember a time when I, I haven't – you know, I, I, a lot of friends are like – I'm like, I'll listen to this line. That's interesting. I've actually never paid attention to the words. I just like the song, you yes. know? Yes. That doesn't resonate with me at all. Like I hear the words the first time. Um, they affect <laughs> sure. whether I like, you know, my my initial judgment of the song. So, anyway, um, I I, re- I I remember why I started listening to it. It was because I went to record. I spent a week um, in between Christmas and New Year's. This is 2009 into 2010, um, recording my first album in a studio. So it was like a, a week straight of working nonstop. And, um, you know, I had cut time around those holidays with my family. I I cut that time short and I'm a big family, family man. And so I think I was just feeling on my drive back to DC after all this, I think I was just kind of feeling like, not that I was sad. I just recorded my first album, but I was also like kind of missing a lot of that time. And so I just was feeling nostalgic remembering, I think we had probably just watched, you know, that first home videotape and, sure. and I, and so I was like, I, I want to listen to that album. And so I just went on iTunes and I bought, um, born in the USA and ghost of Tom Joad because I knew that it was totally different. Right. So those were the, those were the two that I started with when I dove in. And just from the, from the get go, there was just this, this sense of adventure an urgency about born in the USA that, um, and I think, I think by the time I, so after that, I know I started at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So then, and I think went chronologically as I, I yeah. within the next, over the next 18 months, I had bought every album, a bunch of, you know, the, the B side compilation things, some live DVDs and stuff. What, um, I, what were you going to school for? Or what actually, did you go to school? Yeah, I actually studied uh, theology. Okay. Which is <laughs> and, interesting because um, we just talked about um, you you were listening to Rob Carmack visit us. Yeah, yeah so, right, yeah. right, yeah. And so I think that I think that aspect of his music is really interesting to me as well. Um, the way that he interwe- interweaves biblical themes and religious and spiritual themes into his music and that he's referred to, you know, he writes a lot of songs about characters who are, who are economically depressed yeah. and in situations. And, um, I, I, for a lot of these reasons, I kind of consider him like an, a new David, like a lot of these songs of longing, they feel like kind of contemporary Psalms to me. And, um, anyway, I, it was on, uh, uh, you know, lines like uh, drinking warm beer, you know, the barefoot girl sitting on the hood of a Dodge drinking warm beer in the soft summer rain. Yeah. Like it, that was not my high school experience yeah. at all. 
Um, nothing about that imagery is had been like a part of my life, but the way he sings it, like made it felt, it made it feel like it was a memory for me. Um, Does couple, that make sense? It makes total sense, and a couple yeah. things um, to talk on. Uh, one, um, and for those of you who are playing a drinking game and had the words, how many times Jesse. Uh, says Rob Carmack, you are going to be wasted. But um, Rob has said often that he thinks in another life, Bruce Springsteen would have been an incredibly successful Southern Baptist preacher. Oh, that's, that's right. You know, uh, yeah. because, um, you know, when he, like the Seeger Sessions and, and oh, yeah. his cover of This Little Light of Mine and, and um, This Is Your Sword, This Is Your Shield, you mm-hmm. know, um, so I, I get that a lot, and I, I love the idea of, um, you know, and then when you think about um, Jesus was an only son, and mm-hmm. in that lyrics he talks about the songs of David, um, yeah. and you'd have mentioned that, is I, I've never heard that description before, and I absolutely uh, love it. I, I think it is cool. spot on. I, I did. You did bring up something that I wanted to ask you. You, you, you talked about not kind of learning to play the guitar till older. <laughs> yeah. But what? When did you find that you had a need to write? And what I mean by that is, um, I I have a real good friend, uh, Tom Zoller, who is an artist. He's he's had some success. He's written a book called Love and Capes, which is absolutely amazing. He um, did a warning label, which is a an online comic about a woman that every time you ask her out for a date, you she is cursed. You get a list of all the reasons you shouldn't date her as a warning <laughs> label. Um, so, but he he said he can never remember not wanting to draw. I mean, he grew up. He always knew he wanted to be a whatever an artist was, whatever it was, whether it was a commercial artist, whether it was an illustrator. He always knew that's what he wanted to do. Yeah. Um, it does not sound like that was your introduction, your origin story. Oh, correct. So share me a little bit of how, you know, as we stay biblical, the road to Damascus, you know, the light <laughs> shined and you became, you know, you, you moved from Paul to Saul. You went from non-music guy <laughs> to music guy. Yeah. Um, so I we played guitar for we learned it for two weeks as a class in our music class in eight, when I was in eighth grade, and I really enjoyed it. And I asked for one for Christmas, and uh, Santa Claus got me one. And um, I played it for about three weeks, and then I didn't pick it up again for about two years. So it really wasn't until the summer before my junior year of high school that um, my, my cousin, who was 15 at the time, and man, he, he was giving guitar lessons at 15. He could shred. Okay. Just phenomenal. Okay. Like an absolute natural um, at electric. And, uh, you know, he showed me – so the internet, the internet is still – fairly new at this point he showed right. me uh, a lot of sites where you could go to find guitar tabs so if you couldn't read music it had the the numbers laid out for you yes and so you could listen along and learn how to play and and that's that's how i started and so I, honestly what it was was just figuring out slowly what sounded good what didn't 
getting used to moving my fingers where they needed to be faster. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, in that sense, I guess learning how to play and creating went hand in hand. I okay. was always doing both as I was just trying to, to figure it out. Um, yeah, so that was, uh, so, I, I guess yeah. that's what I, what I say that, but you know, I was in a band in, in high school for the last kind of year, mm-hmm. year and a half I was in high school, but I was the least musically talented. Okay. I, I, <laughs> I probably only actually knew maybe six or seven chords. And so for all the songs I didn't know, I would just stand up there and pretend sure. that I was playing so I wouldn't have to keep coming on and off the stage. Well, so. what I find um, slightly <laughs> ironic or funny is it, it, it sounds like you are living the wish. Um, you, you Your earliest memories of your mom's alarm cock and the radio – before, as she gets ready to go to work, um, and you wanted a brand new Japanese guitar um, under the Christmas tree, so I'm like, Kevin is living the song "The Wish." Uh, that is that is awesome. So, you, how did you get to record? I mean, what led you to recording an album as you were, you know, heading back home? You know, how did you? What led to you recording your first album and what kind of – tell me a little bit about that journey. Yeah, well, I had um, I had recorded one already um, that was – it was all piano songs okay. and they were all really slow and really somber and kind of melancholic, which – you know, it, it's not that that is what I wanted the first album to be. Is I had a friend who had just started a mobile recording studio, and basically recorded the whole thing for like two hundred bucks. We I just did all the piano takes in about three hours, and then went to his apartment and did all the vocals. So it was super, you know, not really professional quality. The mix is really good, um, but the but the whole overall theme of it, and and I actually had a uh, it was actually a priest heard it when I was living in DC and told me that it reminded him of Springsteen. And I said, I completely disagree with you, but I'll take it. And it wasn't until I listened to Nebraska for the first time, you know, three years after that, that I, I understood what he was talking about, you know, like 10 very, you know, not really not produced songs at all many of which have this kind of somber melancholic feels like so i thought that's must that must be what he's alluding to that this kind of sounds like a piano version of that i still disagree because it was not anywhere near that caliber um but it, really i had started to to just kind of play more shows in that area and network with people and you know i was never playing any of the slow piano stuff I was playing the faster, more upbeat stuff I was writing on the guitar. And so then when people would buy the CDs, they were buying something completely different than what I was playing. And so I wanted to be able to um, to kind of, I guess, have something else to offer as I was pursuing opportunities to kind of play, were play you, more shows. Was, um, uh, Kevin, was this how you were earning a living at this point uh, through music or was this a side gig? No, it was a it was a side gig. I I uh, 
But honestly, in October of 2010 was the first month that I was doing music full time. Um, now I was single, so I, I didn't have to make very much money, right. and I didn't, and I didn't, <laughs> and yeah. I still don't. Yeah, you know, especially now that I have no shows for the foreseeable future, since um, the world is on lockdown. You know, um, what's, what's, I was going to get to that. Um, I had uh, Perry Adams on the phone yesterday. On yesterday, I interviewed her, and she uh, had done a Kickstarter. Um, at the like in December of last year, and I had her on the show and helped promote it. She is a friend of one of my fellow podcasters, and just I really thought she was charming, and I liked her music. And so yesterday we talked <clears throat> about you know the album's out, and she's dying to promote it. And I brought up uh, Lily Hyatt, who is John Hyatt's daughter. Um, John Hyatt's a um, a musician out of Indiana that's written for everyone okay. um, and has a, a strong solo career on his own, not a household name, but, you know, one of those singer, you know, other musicians love listening to him. And his daughter has a new album out. And I go, how do you promote an album when <sighs> you can't do gigs? And, you know, and um, and that's a challenge. And yeah. now I know Ohio, and we're going to get to that, has been out a while. It uh -huh. came out last fall. But, right, one of the ways you promote an album, one of the ways you make a living is by performing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's <laughs> it's got to be tough. Uh, I, I'm going to come back to Ohio, but I, I did want to ask a couple of Springsteen questions. Yeah, sure. Um, the... Um, I I always preface this question with the amount of times people have seen Bruce is not a fair barometer of your fandom. I have seen I have had fans that have seen him, you know, hundreds of times have been on the show, and I have had people that are impassionate about him who've never seen him perform live. So I don't think that's a fair barometer. But uh, I always like to ask. Have yeah. you seen him live? And if you had, how many times? Yeah, one time. Okay. When did you see him? It was uh, September. I don't know the exact date, but it was uh, early, mid-December of 2012. Okay. And it was at FedEx Field mm -hmm. in uh, – is that the na – no, National Stadium. Okay. Is that the same, or is FedEx Field where the Chiefs play? Not sure. In D.C. Okay. Well, I think it might have been at National Stadium in D.C. Okay. Um, that was that's the one and only time that I've that I've ever seen him live. Okay. And it was it was great. It, you know, they played for two and a half hours, left the stage for five minutes, and then came back on and did another hour. Yeah. Uh, one of the questions, uh, one of the statements, um, I say is there's. Um, two kinds of people that go to their first Springsteen show. The first one says, oh, my God, that's really long. And the, the second is, oh, my goodness, I want to go see this guy every time I can. You know? Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, so I, I took three people with me, and um, uh, two of them were 
they just one of them he just loves going to live shows mm-hmm. and he had started to listen to Springsteen a little more because he lived in the apartment below me in Baltimore and I talked about him constantly and then my other friend who wanted to be a fan hadn't dove into the music yet but he had a friend who was a super fan so they went and then my brother-in-law came because he wa- because he wanted to be included right and he and he hated it yeah <laughs> Which is so funny uh, to me. And, you know, he just, the whole time the other two guys are up on their feet, they don't know any of the songs. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's, they do the, the intro when they do a live for 10th Avenue Freeze Out. He just stands on the piano and for like 10 minutes, the whole crowd just sings, bah, 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 yeah, exactly. bah, over and over again. So you, if you don't know the songs, you learn them pretty quick. Right. So they are participating 100%. He is my brother-in-law. Is just sitting there, just looking pissed the entire time. Can't wait till it's over, and which I was amusing to me. Have you ever seen? Did you watch the Springsteen and uh, Me documentary? You know that was all fan-made. I did. My okay. wife got that for me uh, for Christmas. I might have been the first year we were married, and then. Uh, and I saw you had the Philly Elvis on the yes. podcast, which is awesome. Well, and I always think of that guy that, you know, <laughs> like, if you could tell Bruce one thing, what would you tell him? Make it shorter. Some of <laughs> us are not, you know, and I always think of that husband, uh, you know, like we go to all these cities where there's things and we spend the whole time at a show. Um, I don't know if it's on the DVD, um, but I was lucky enough to see it um, at um, you know, one of those screenings, and there was a post scene where, um, after the movie, they talked about that Bruce actually ran into that guy and his wife, like after a show or before a show. And Bruce was like, Hey, that's that guy who doesn't like me, that's that guy who doesn't like that's me because so he had seen funny. it. And he pulled them in and and they talked, and um, <laughs> and then afterwards, like. He said, uh, he looks over to the husband after the show and says, I did what I could. I'm sorry. And he's like, no, no, no. It's like, you know. Uh, so I can see your brother-in-law. I mean, if you you either get it or you don't, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and it's perfect because, as you mentioned, the other two don't know the songs either. But they're caught into that magic and, you know, the power of rock and roll and just the the – the magnetism of him that's that's great yeah yeah uh, all right so you're you're recording uh you have um tell us uh, you're a podcaster so before mm-hmm. we turn to ohio talk about your podcast a little bit yeah it's uh it's called song and story and the concept is um you know like i i know where all of my songs come from i know more specifically i i know what they're about um they all come from a specific place either something i've been thinking about um addressing an an issue that's affecting the world what have you um i i know what's i'm aware of everything that's going on in my life as i'm writing a song so you know more than anyone else who listens to my music i i understand the context and where it comes from Right. And so sometimes when I'm playing solo shows, you know, I won't lift the veil up completely, but I'll give a little bit of an insider story that pertains to the song or, or where it came from. And, you know, it was at uh, uh, 
playing a show at this small kind of um, listening room in Cincinnati uh, at the end of 2017. I think it was my last show of 2017. And this guy, he he had all my uh, he had all my music and and was a fan and but he had never seen me live. And so I'm talking to him after the show, and he said, uh, "He said, you know, it was really cool. Like I've I've listened to your all your music a lot, and just hearing you kind of talk a little bit about the songs it makes me is making me think of them in a in a totally new way. And now I want to go re-listen to everything again. And and it was really just like two months later that I that I kind of this conversation cemented it, itself in my mind as this idea to. Um, have a podcast where we talk about songs and the stories behind them, but it's not just me, you know, researching a song and talking about it. Every episode is with another songwriter, and we're we're featuring one song of theirs. So the episode begins. I'll do a brief introduction, and then you hear the song in full, and then I we talk. I talk about it with the artist that wrote it, and then um, when the conversation ends the song plays again in full so that you can kind of hear it with this fresh perspective and and again like the point of this is not to strip all the mystery away from the song or or, or lift the veil completely it's it's just to kind of like it helps people understand that it's as personal as as a bruce song can be for me you know like i it it will mean something completely different to him it came from a totally different place yeah um, for him, you know, like no surrender. You, you listen to the words and, uh, you know, one of the lines is something like we, we learned more from a three million record baby than we ever learned before, than we ever learned in school, right. you know? So like, you know, it's, it's this, it's kind of the band singing, uh, we're in this together, no retreat, no surrender. Yeah. Well, that was the song that my wife and I played as we were leaving our wedding reception. You know, so like I, I, I have this context for the song, but when we use it for that purpose, it's like this is what we're saying. Like we we have we are married, we're committed to each other, we're in this, you know, no retreat, no surrender. And and it's just like music has this unique power. And so I, I don't mean by my with my podcast to kind of like let people know this is what the song means and that's it. You know, there's always this element of uh, I will often first tell the songwriter, like, this is what I think when I hear it. You know, where did this come from? Yeah. And it's really like every conversation, you know, it starts with the song, but it becomes about every every theme associated with it. It becomes a conversation about life and the struggles that we all face and, and whatnot. So. Um, so first off, um, I love that about No Surrender. Um, I am three years uh, past having colon cancer. Um, oh, wow. Everything's fine, but um, No Retreat, No Surrender is a song that a lot of people use um, it as a rallying cry for their, their and, and we say battle, but the truth is it, it, you're fighting an unwinnable, I mean, cancer cheats. It's not a fair oh, fight. Sure. It is... I am I am been blessed that I, I am fine now, but uh, so no retreat no surrender. I always think of that as my battle. Mm. Um, I love the idea, 
you know, because in a lot of ways, I think it is a song about friendship and about being together. And I think what a lovely way um, to have that as you're driving off is just great. Um, yeah. So thank you for sharing that. The other you're story, welcome. The other story I want to share, um, I think, which hits perfectly. Um, and Isaac Asimov, when I was a kid, was one of my favorite writers. I, I Isaac Asimov, a science fiction writer, um, I, I I poured through his collections of short stories, and and, and he was just someone I, I just uh, adored. And in one of his autobiographies, he told the story that he was lecturing, and um, and he he was explaining what the story he had written was about. And someone in the audience raised their hand and said, Dr. Asimov, I, I think you have that wrong. I think the story is about this and told a different story. <laughs> and um, Isaac said, well, I'm the writer. Don't you think I know? And the read, you know, the audience member says, well, Dr. Asimov, just because you wrote it, what makes you think you know what it's about? Yeah. And he stopped and said, you're right. Yeah. And uh, so when I hear you telling your stories about your podcast, um, I think of that story, right? Like, I know what I was feeling. Like when Bruce sure. did, um, when he did Storytellers, you know, he says, was I thinking oh, yeah. this? He says, maybe subconsciously, but I was feeling all of it. And right, so right. I think that is um, no way Bruce would have thought when he was writing No Surrender that this is an anthem for a young couple going off to start their married life. But right. I believe that would bring the biggest, would bring the biggest grin to his face. To have that story being told. I hope so. I yes. hope so. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. I hope so. We also danced to uh, "If I Should Fall Behind" was our first was our first dance. Of course. And that was actually my wife's suggestion, which mm-hmm. meant a lot because she was not yeah. prior. She was not a fan mm-hmm. <laughs> prior. Um, but yeah, no, I, uh, I I I love that, and and that's that bit from Storytellers. Where he says, now, was I thinking all this when I wrote the song? No, but I felt it. Like, yeah. I actually, I watched that uh, program on the, on the eve of my 26th birthday. I was alone and I just went to, I went to Arby's and got some food and I had bought two uh, springs. I, I think I bought live at Madison Square Garden and, VH1 Storytellers for my birthday. I hadn't, I hadn't seen either. And I went back. I was all alone, and I watched Storytellers and was amazing. And when I heard that, I thought that that sums everything up so well. And I have told that story on probably about 25% of the episodes <laughs> of my podcast. Yes. I've told that story in the conversations. I've cut it out of all but one of them because I don't want to just be telling the same See, story. The Spring, are, Springsteen is mentioned in every episode. You are a better man than I. <laughs> um, I in fact, the the edit, the, I don't edit this. So I tend to 
Um, <laughs> you know, I, I forget I'm being I'm recording. This is at this point. Kevin and Jesse are having a conversation, right? right? Like we're over coffee or in line for a concert or we're just, you know, enjoying each other's company. And so I tend to tell stories because you haven't heard every episode. And so, you know, and it cut me to the just to the bottom of my heart. But someone very early put a negative review on the podcast and said the oh, host no. repeat the host repeats himself <laughs> a lot. He should build an FAQ so that he doesn't have to repeat the same stories. <laughs> and and I and so now then I often will go. Um, I apologize to my regular listeners. You've heard this story before. Uh, skip ahead five seconds if you want. So I applaud your discipline that you go in and edit that because i would keep it in i would yeah. be like nope nope gonna have you're gonna have to hear it again yeah Please do it. well well my my episodes are, are highly edited um and the reason for that is because it's uh you know oftentimes our conversations will go for about an hour and a half right some sometimes two hours but there's a lot of tangents Mm-hmm. And and ultimately, I want the um, you know, I, I want the whole conversation, the whole experience, to be at the service of the song that we're discussing. So, I try to kind of cut out stuff that maybe is a little not relevant when we when we go off into the weeds or whatever. Um, and and I try to I try to condense everything down to about between forty five and, and fifty five minutes. So so that it gives me it gives me a good example to like, or I guess I should say a good reason to not have to worry about repeating what stories I tell because most likely the new person I'm talking to has never heard it and it and it okay. acts as a springboard to carry the conversation along. So so that is but. really smart of you because you're doing this, and then I, I hope. Um, and I, I think my listeners tell me when they're not, um, because this is a conversation podcast yeah. more than a, you know, a theme podcast. Um, I would think many times, <laughs> as you already laughed, the tangent that Rob went on about, <laughs> you know, is what abused you. So I, I that right. is what right. that is the excuse I'm embracing. <laughs> that I hope that the tangents uh, people enjoy, and, and that's great. I, uh, well, I I have listened to a couple of the episodes, and I really have enjoyed them. Oh, um, cool! Right. I, I, of course, and we're going to get to Ohio, but you know, I listened to that one first, um, and then I picked a couple others to listen to. Is that like the bonus one where I'm talking about yes. my? Sp- okay, cool. Yeah, um, because um, I am always fascinated. That, you know, what were you thinking? What were you trying to um, produce? Um, yeah. I have an episode coming up um, where um, I ask everyone on the show for the past two or three years um, the Mary question, and you'll get your chance to answer the Mary question as we get down the conversation. But I took uh, probably 40 clips of people answering the question does mary get in the car at the end of thunder road and and splice them together and then i sent the tape to jay armstrong who is the guy who came up with this question originally um and we have we spent an hour and 15 minutes talking about um that song and what 
what was Bruce trying to say and what does it say about us in asking that question? So, and, and so I, I get that. I think it's beautiful, you know, and some songs are just for fun, right? Yeah. Right. But a lot yeah. of songs, they are trying to say something. And so that's I, good for you. And I, I, I'm looking forward to future episodes. This is great. Cool. Yeah. All right. So um, we've teased it. So um, why did you decide to do an album of Bruce covers? First, who wouldn't want to do one? But right. why did you decide, okay, I think I want to do this. Talk to me about the process and, and kind of give me that little journey. Yeah. Um, man, I think it was a it was a combination of a lot of factors. Um, I've had a lot of people tell me you should I should do a covers album that they think that would be a lot of fun. Um, so that's kind of happened off and on over the years, and uh, at the same time, it had been about the last you know, studio album that I put out was in 2013. It was a double, a double album called the spark. So it's about 22 tracks on it, plus some bonus songs and, um, it was received very well amongst people who received it, you know? Yeah. Those <laughs> who always... heard it liked it a lot. Yeah. Just yeah, not yeah. enough of you did. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, and I had done a Kickstarter, this was in 20 at the end of 2012 uh, was when I launched the Kickstarter for it. And Kickstarter was still pretty new at the time. Um, and so I you got the money to do that. And um, but, man, it's so hard. It's so hard to as an independent artist to retain at all times the capital needed to keep, you know, uh producing the merchandise that you can sell if and when you get shows um, to retain the capital needed to go into the studio and, and record the new songs that you've written. So it had been uh, about six years since I had put out a new album. And um, I think one night I was just playing, playing a couple of songs in my, uh, in the kitchen at our house. The kids were upstairs asleep and really liked it and just that was when i just started thinking man it would be really cool to you know, whenever you're playing someone else's song uh i think as songwriters especially you you tend to do it in your own voice you know you, you don't always um want to to try and mimic them completely you kind of take what you love what and why you love the song and then you make it your own and so i was kind of just doing that in, in my kitchen late at night and that was when i realized like i could i could do this i could pick 10 of his songs and kind of you know rework them in the style of nebraska and it, it doesn't matter how professional the quality of the recordings is because that wasn't the point of Nebraska. That's that's not why people like it. You know, yeah. it's it's they like it because he recorded them in his kitchen. Like it's the closest thing anyone that most people will ever hear to listening to Bruce Springsteen play alone in his kitchen. And yes. and I thought like it would be really cool to to Nebraskify, um, you know. 10 of his other songs that uh, that have meant a lot to me 
that I really appreciate for, for various reasons. And, um, and the thought of, I recorded the whole thing with this mic that I'm talking to you on now, um, in my old bedroom at, at my parents' house. So like I, I tried, cause I know he, he recorded some of his, I think in the, in his kitchen and some up in his, his bedroom in, in New Jersey. But I, uh, so like once I got the idea, I just kind of, I set some parameters for myself, you know, like the only instrumentation on it was acoustic guitar. And then I didn't have a mandolin. I had actually just, uh, given the mandolin I had away cause I didn't really play it. I, and, uh, so on a couple of tracks, I'll just double the guitar instead where he might use the mandolin or a second guitar. Uh, and then there's the glockenspiel comes in only on Atlantic City. And then um, I, I use the harmonica. Um, I tried to use that a little bit ethereally um, on a limited number of tracks. And so I think... So there's 10 songs on it. I tried to use the same type of instrumentation... I tried to kind of like I, – I didn't get the reverb to sound identical to what he used, but I tried to make it fitting uh, in that in his style that appears on Nebraska. I tried to kind of make it fitting to, to what I'd created, and then I um, – uh, and I kept the running time. The running time is really close. I think it's within a minute uh, that I matched the, the running times. So I just kind of gave myself these parameters – I didn't want to do an exact replica of the album. Um, the point was just to kind of try and match the the tone of it um, with 10 songs from – originally I wanted it to be 10 songs from 10 of his different albums, but I couldn't – I did Dancing in the Dark and My Hometown, and I didn't want to cut either one of those, so I just decided to, to put them both on there. So I, I was going to ask. How did you pick the songs? Ah, uh, man, um, it was tough. So the the first criteria is: could I do a version of it that I liked, that was different enough, but also kind of did it justice, um, and that and that worked with my vocal range. And uh, so that's kind of the first criteria. If there's one I think would be good on it. Can I work out an arrangement that I would like? And I, I would know pretty quickly if I did that. Um, you know, a couple that I really wanted to do but didn't make the cut were Growing Up and um, Blinded by the Light. And which obviously those two have a lot more energy than anything else that's on there. And so because of that, I just think that they didn't quite fit with it. Um, but I think I would like to do maybe another EP of more of of uh, of those types of songs. So it was a combination of a, of a lot of things. Like I, I'm I'm big on order when I am, you know, recording and about to release an album of of my original songs. I'm very particular about the order that the songs go in. You know, which one's going to set the tone. What is the next track going to do to the tone that's been set? Is it going to amplify it? Is it going to change it in what way? And so that's really very much how how I uh, approach this. And, oh, gosh, Western Stars came out as I was recording it. Right. And Tucson Train. I listened to the, al- the whole album a number of times, but Tucson Train 
I think I listened to probably 40 times the <laughs> the week it came out. This is that song. I loved it. And so I tried to record a version of that, but I it just didn't sound good. I couldn't I couldn't do it justice. So I ended up sticking with with my original order. But um Tucson Train is one of my favorite songs on an album. Um I think because I'm by nature I'm a romantic. Um yeah. I believe in happy endings and I love redemption stories. And and I have the TV movie already made out, right? Like, like <laughs> you know, the the singer of Tucson Train has really messed up. Either had uh, substance abuse issues, or or and that's how I picture. He had substance abuse issues, and he was yep. really a bad partner. Mm-hmm. And so he's gone, and he's gotten straight. He's you know he's in the program. He has rebuilt his life, and now then. You know, he's he's calling his significant other and um, and um, friend of the podcast who's been on many times. Bella Pori is believes that Western Stars is filled with lesbian love songs. Uh, You know, um, so I always leave that, you know, I, I, I don't know the genders of the people involved on Tucson Train, but I just see the singer saying, just come for the weekend. That all I'm asking. I'm and not see asking, that I've you'll I'm see not, that I've changed. Yeah, yeah, I'm not asking for a commitment. I'm saying come for the weekend, and um, we can show her a man has changed. You right. know, um, yeah. I, I see. We went on a tangent because that's what we do. But yes, I am right there with you. I love I, that song. It from a songwriting from a storytelling perspective, it gives you just enough information. Mm-hmm. To figure out what's going on yeah. without without spelling everything out. And there's that question at the end, like it's he doesn't ask it specifically, but when the song ends, like I want I, I want to know, is she on the train? The last line he says is is here she comes, you yeah. know? But he doesn't know he if doesn't she actually know. got no. on the train. We, and we it's, don't. And it's man, you you just hope that she's on it. <laughs> Uh, you do, and 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 um, and I'm a sucker for that, you know, redemption story, that yeah. that they have figured it out, and uh, I want to show you um, what I can do and what I can't do, so that's nice. Um, I'm sure you're proud of all ten of them, and by the way, I I I, I purchased. Ohio. I've listened to it multiple times. I listened to it once you confirmed that you were going to be with me. I I, I listened straight through. I, oh, cool. I really enjoy everything. But do you have a couple that you're especially proud of? Hmm. Um. Yeah. Yes. Uh. I mean, my my hometown. My hometown in the rising, I would say on the record, my my three favorite in, in terms of how they turned out would probably be Youngstown, the rising, and um, my hometown. And uh, you know, Youngstown is just such it's such a tragedy. 
and I, I felt like to open the record with this will, will set that tone that like, because I got, you know, I got a lot of friends. They hear me talk about Springsteen all the time, but like most, like most non Springsteen fans, you know, they like dancing in the dark glory days and, um, born to run, <laughs> you know, like those are the three big ones that non Springsteen fans really are, can tolerate and, and enjoy. And, I wanted to open it with Youngstown, you know, one, because Nebraska opens with the song Nebraska and Youngstown is in Ohio. And the very first line of the song is here in Northeast Ohio. So I thought this will be a good way to kind of um, tie the song order to the reason for the album's title and the allusion to Nebraska, all that stuff. Anyway, that's kind of a convoluted ramble, but no, no, that makes actually a lot of sense. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, but it was also like, uh, you know, the the song Nebraska is about a, a serial killer, mm-hmm. and Youngstown is, in a sense, kind of that way. But of what happened to a town, how, how the captains of industry let a town die, and um, so I wanted to open it with so that all my friends were like, oh gosh, Kevin's releasing a. Springsteen album like to let him know from the get-go like no this is serious like his music is this is why I like it it's because Mm -hmm. he writes when the whole band's playing like yeah it's fun but man you dive into the words and there it's real life going on and um I'm sure you noticed that I cut out the last stanza yes okay so the a couple reasons for like one I, I felt like I had the liberty to do it given what Manfred Mann did to Blinded by the Light. Yes, okay. <laughs> like, so completely different. They cut out tons of lyrics from that song. They sang a couple multiple times and it just added totally different instrumentation. So I felt like I had the artistic liberty to do it. But at the same time, in terms of making it my own, like, that last verse always felt a little too heavy-handed to me like the song is tragic enough before you get there and so i kind of got this idea that you know so far the whole song has just been like two acoustic guitars vocals and that's it and so i kind of got the idea to uh i'm just gonna let the harmonica have this kind of like longing to it that will in effect do what the last verse does but without saying it you know just really musically drive it all home and like that was kind of a way for me to kind of make it make it my own um yeah so that's that one is definitely uh i really i appreciate that one the rising i like it because it's so it's the exact opposite of of um of his album version, which is this hopeful, anthemic, yeah. beautiful song. And um, I, I had it in mind when I did it. You know, Dayton had just been hit by about 13 uh, tornadoes had hit down in Dayton on Memorial Day weekend last year, um, which is right before I started recording it. And, um, you know, so I, my dad and I had gone out to, to kind of help clean up a couple times and and just like knowing how crazy everything was 
um, I think I had that in mind, like my where where Bruce is rising is this necessary, hopeful and uh, anthem. Um, mine is just this kind of really desperate, uh, still hopeful, but also just like a desperate prayer. Um, yeah. Um, so interesting. I've seen Bruce 60 times. Um, and 60, 16, 16, Um, and the only song he's played every show is the rising. Oh, really? Yeah. And, uh, I had, um, Jennifer, uh, from the Netherlands said that, um, she, she, I'm sorry, Jennifer's not from the Netherlands. Um, I'm going to not say where she's from. Um, so I won't get it wrong, but Jennifer said that says something, Jesse, that you, every time you've seen, you've heard the rising. Yeah. I think it says more because of, I didn't see my first show to 2002. Uh, but still he's been there. Um, and I liked your version a lot. What I was surprised about and very pleased was, uh, Jesus was an only son. Um, you know, Devils and Dust does not get a lot of love at times oh, from some phenomenal. fans and I, I really <laughs> love it and I I love the way the song and um, I was lucky enough to go to a Devils and Dust show and, oh. and and you know similar to what you saw on you know um, Storytellers where he said it's the humanity right right the idea that Jesus sits there and goes well you know maybe I could open that bar you know, leaving preaching for the weekend um, is such a beautiful song, and I loved your version of it. Oh, cool! Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's you know I uh, um, I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of the genre of Christian music, and the I don't mean to like knock it. I just it's not my it's not my cup of tea. So There's... you will love Rob and JB because they oh, yeah. both talk about the problem with Christian because <laughs> they both grew up as Christians and they said they, they heard a lot of bad Christian rock. Yeah. So, yeah. It all it, it all just seems like you two B-sides to me. <laughs> but anyway, that's really all I want to say. About it. No, no, no. Yeah, you sure. can cut that out if you want to. Okay. I wouldn't object if you You don't okay. have to. But okay. anyway – um. You know, so I, I, but I heard a lot of it growing up and listening. Well, the first time I heard Jesus was an only son, I thought this song has more depth and thought put into it about the person and the life of Christ than any song I have ever heard on a Christian album. Like just imagining him as a child, you know, sitting at his mother's, as he lay reading the Psalms of David there yeah. at, at his mother's feet. Like, it's just such a it's such a beautiful image. Like it's every day I'll, I'll come into the living room and my wife is she's sitting on the couch drinking coffee and one of the kids is sitting at her feet reading something. You know, it's just like, mm-hmm. oh man, it's just it's such a beautiful it's such a beautiful meditative song. Yeah. And so so there is that progression on that I was going for. I think on Ohio with, um, you know, it, uh, uh, Youngstown is a tragedy. Atlantic City is a tragedy. Uh, Dancing in the Dark is a little, it's a little more hopeful, um, than the river is. Gosh, uh, this, it's the story of so many people. Like I, I kind of, 
not getting into any specifics and it doesn't exactly relate, but it, it reminds me of my parents when I, when I hear it. And, um, I, I had an idea last night and I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it, but I yeah. am, I am tempted to get a couple of people on the podcast and discuss, did the couple on the river have a successful marriage? Hmm. Um, did they end up breaking up? Are they still together? Is it a successful marriage? Now we know in real life, um, Bruce's sister and it inspired her, it, yeah, yeah, and they have had a wonderful, successful marriage. Mm-hmm. But I wonder the couple in the river, um, even though he talks about, you know, um, Mary acts like she don't care. Yeah, that oh, does gosh. not necessarily mean it's been a bad marriage. Right. Right. So I. Yes. Anyway, continue. Then after the river, you went to the rising. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, f- I felt like the rising was was, um, you know, hopeful in theme, but kind of somber uh, and desperate the way the way that I did it. I felt like that was a good one to kind of cap the first half of the album um, that now there's this shift in tone. And, and I think Jesus was an only son kind of ushers ushers that in a little bit. But anyway, um, see, that one was interesting because I, I had a lot of. Uh, a lot of friends listen to this album because I put it out, mm-hmm. but normally they're not interested in Springsteen. Sure. And one of them in particular, when she heard the river, you know, texted me and was like, this song is absolutely amazing. And I said, thank you. Like it's this album was a lot easier for me to receive compliments for because I didn't write any of the songs. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I felt like anyone who likes it, they're they're liking they like it because Bruce wrote it and it's amazing, which is why I wanted to share it and put it out there. But anyway, and then um, just to finish up the tracks, you did My Lucky Day, very nice, surprising. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, that was good. Tougher than the rest. If I should fall behind, obviously for your lovely bride, and my hometown. Um, yeah. Really, uh, I guess. Atlantic City and Dancing in the Dark, maybe two that you'd go, well, of course you did those. Right. Uh, but um, tougher than the rest, if I saw behind, maybe. But some really nice selections, really well done. Cool. Um, I, and I, I, it means a lot to me that you shared, um, though we have talked over an hour. So, okay. so, so I, hope, I hope I have not taken you too long. Oh, my I gosh. Had a Everybody's blast. asleep. So yeah, I can good. go. We can go. We can make this a Bruce set if you want. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! Um, I, I, what's been you? You shared a little bit, but share. Um, what's been the response to this? Oh, you know, again, it's it's been really good from the from the people that have heard it. Um, and I don't quite know. There's such a delay in um, the numbers as they're reported to you from the various kind of streaming. Sites and all that stuff. Um, that uh, it's you know it's hard to know how far reaching it is, but for me, just from the get go, you know, hearing from a lot of people that I did not know mm-hmm. about it, and also hearing you know I had friends, more people that I knew either from college or from my time in D.C. wasn't necessarily friends with, but just kind of seeing them tweet like, you know, Kevin Hyder is making me rethink my anti-Springsteen stance nice you know and then another 
kind of acquaintance, you know, retweeted that with same here, you know, and it's like, that's cool. That is you know, the, cool. the fact that people who have otherwise disregarded his work for whatever reason, the fact that the way I did it is making them kind of think about it in a, in a new light is, um, I, that, I don't know that, that to me is, is special. So, yeah, I agree. Um, Talk to me how people can get it and what is the best way for them to get it for you? The, well, the best way, just for any artist in general, the best way is to buy it. And I know your options are limited at this point. Sure. Uh, with is, is iTunes actually closed or is it open? Like, can you actually – is it I, only streaming on Apple Music or can you still buy it? I think things? you can still buy it, yeah. Okay, okay. Because my mode uh, for most – you know, indie artists that I listen to, a lot of them put their music on Bandcamp. Right. And uh, so that's where, and I all my stuff is on there. So uh, that's the best platform if you, if you, to support artists in general, I think. If they have stuff on Bandcamp, get it there because they get a higher percentage of the royalties. There's always the option to like give them a little extra tip if you want. Um, and because of that, what I did with Ohio on Bandcamp is I put six, um, bonus tracks with it and these are all they're all originals um but they're all demo recordings of mine that i made uh, over the years like you know three of them are songs that i've since recorded fleshed out fully produced and released on records and these are kind of like the earliest demos of those with working in other guitar parts um l- the lyrics will be different you know they changed by the time i got the song into the studio um and then three songs that are totally uh, that I've never have not yet recorded or released. You, you kind of hear the earliest demos of those. It, it, it made sense to me to kind of um, add that incentive for people who, who are, you know, care enough to actually kind of um, purchase it. And, and given that Bandcamp actually is a platform that lets you do that type of thing when you, when you put your music on it. So that's the best way. But the reality is like, music streaming is, is how most people do it. And so wherever you listen to music, as long as you're listening, that just means a lot. Um, and if there are, especially independent artists that you listen to, um, liking them or following them on Spotify or Apple Music, like that helps a lot. Um, you know, the, the more people that will kind of follow you on those platforms, that kind of helps um, more future potential fans kind of uh, find you in their algorithm. So, I had ended up... Um... You know, I bought it via iTunes. That's how I knew you could buy it mm-hmm. from there. And uh, But I always ask the question because I know um, I have a good friend named Sarah Hickman who is lived in Austin, and she's, um, you know, her whole career making albums. And, you know, by far the best way for her to buy a gig is for her to make money is she has copies of the CD after the show right. you go, you pay it. And that helps pay for the gas that took her there and, and everything. Right. So I always like to think, okay, um, how do I, you know, what is the best way for someone? And yes, absolutely. I agree. I mean, um, no one gets in this to become rich. Um, you you want people to hear your mu- your music, yeah. And um, and especially, I'm hoping that there is some listeners out here that, um, since my 
audience are all huge Springsteen fans that they're going to go, wow, I should check this out. Um, and I, I will include the link to Bandcamp. Oh, cool. Um, your link on this so that they can see um, because it is um, – I, I love um, the album. I, I think oh, thank you. your versions are just really unique. Um, you you honor um, the original songs, but you also – they aren't just total – cut and paste copies in other words you right. add your own spin and and if you're going to do this that's the right way to do it yeah um we have a version of bruce doing dancing in the dark we don't need a note for note version of him doing it um because we already have that right yeah um okay um uh, so um you've kind of shared a little bit about songs you wish you'd done but are there other songs that maybe mean something from Bruce's catalog that you haven't mentioned that hold a special place in your heart? Oh man, for sure. Um, uh, walk like a man uh-huh. from tunnel of love is, uh, which, you know, the first time I saw the title before I actually listened to the record, I, the first thing I thought it was Frankie Valley. You know, walk like a man. Totally different song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, just the the father son bond, and I and I don't know how much of it is a character or how much of it is him. Um, I, I I get the impression that it's probably a, a healthy blend of his own story and um, and a character, but um, just the way that he sings about the father the father-son relationship in that song, uh, it, it all, always made me think of, of my dad. And so I really appreciate that. Um, you know, oh, man, what was your question? Uh, other song? no, that's, you're giving a great answer. Are there other songs in his catalog that you go, yeah, that, that means a lot to me. You've already shared yeah. No Surrender. You started right. your your marriage off with that. Um, right. The you know, fall behind um so um yeah uh, i'll i'll work for your love yes great song the lyrics to that are phenomenal um absolutely phenomenal and i think that was the first one that i played for my wife when we we were just dating um when i was trying to 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 get her to acknowledge springsteen Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, i played her that when just sitting in a parking lot somewhere and I played that song, and his voice is amazing. The lyrics are amazing, and it hit her mm-hmm. right away. And that's also what I was trying to do. Like I was in the process of working to, you know, earn her love. So sure. I think I think that was all the right mix. Um, Devils and Dust is an amazing tune. Um, the uh, my my two favorite albums. This is not to say that they're the two I've listened to the most. But I think my two favorite albums are uh, Wild the Innocent and the E Street Shuffle and Tunnel of Love. Mm-hmm. Um, which didn't – your last episode with Rob, didn't you open with a clip of him talking about Tunnel of Love being the most cohesive yes. something like that? Yes, it yeah. did, yes. Yeah, so when he said that, I was like, yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah, um, I had a young guy on the podcast. I don't think his episodes come out yet. 
Um, and he's really young. And But I talked about that um, I had someone who make the argument that you have to have your heart broken a few times before you get Tunnel of Love. Hmm. And um, he didn't quite agree with that. He said, no, I get it, I get it. And I was like, okay, that's fine. I just, there, you know, as a 60-year-old guy who's been married 35 years, you know, I, I there is a, I, I think the album I hear in Tunnel of Love is different than a 25-year-old enjoying Bruce's music. Yeah. Which goes back to your story of the song and story, right? Right. That we all are, we have our own perception filters of yeah, what right. we're hearing. Right. So that's nice. Um, Kevin, I could talk to you all night. This is great. Um, <laughs> I really appreciate it. Um, all right. So yeah, likewise. Here, here is the um, Mary question. So in right. case you have not heard the podcast before, uh, the premise is Jay Armstrong is an honors English teacher and living in the Philadelphia area. And every year he has a class where his seniors, um, they spend two days breaking down Thunder Road as a poem. Um, he compares it to Robert Frost, The Road Not Taken. They go oh, through line by line the imagery and the symbolism of the of the song. Um, and they break it the way they would do any poem. And at the end of the class, he asks his students, does Mary get in the car? So, Kevin, that is your question. Does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? Does Mary get in the car? Oh, man. Um, I mean, my, my, gut, my gut reaction is more, is more of a hope. Uh, yes. I, would, I would like to think that she gets in the, in the car just as I would like to think that uh that his love is on the train when it pulls into tucson um yeah i, I mean my inc- my inclination is gonna is always gonna be to to hope okay um but if i'm but <laughs> but if i'm considering the lyrics as they are oh man I don't know. My my hope is to say yes. Yeah. Good answer. You had good answers. Man. Okay, so the I don't know if you listen to the very first it's the intro episode of my podcast. Okay. The extended I version. I put like a three and a half minute version and then there's one that's maybe eighteen minutes. Mm-hmm. And it's kinda like uh, it's it's honestly it's all about this same thing but with the counting crows. Okay. Because the character of Maria which is another version of Mary. Uh, Maria is a recurring character in the Counting Crows music. Their very first album, the song Round Here, you know, Maria went to Nashville with a suitcase in her hand, said she'd like to meet a boy who looks like Elvis, right? Well, you get to then three albums later, he sings this line, there's a piece of Maria in every song that I sing. And that, just the first time I heard it in high school, it's like, who is Maria? I want to know who she is. Yeah. And where is she in all these songs? So that's kind of like what I'm exploring in uh, in that intro episode is this is this same kind of thing. Like, is she real? Does she represent something else? So it's like now thinking about it in this context, uh, is Mary a real person? Is she, uh, is she the courage that Bruce needs to himself actually drive off 
and and be a winner that gets out of the town, you so, know? Yeah, so Kevin, another um, guest said that um, Western Stars, the actual song, is uh, when he's at the bar and he's telling his John Wayne story, if you had asked him, he said, sometimes Mary get in the car and sometimes he doesn't. There's been dozens of Marys in my life. Mm. And um, some of them joined me and we we worked through what we needed to work through and we had fun together and we had that part of our lives together and then we moved on. And there's others that know they didn't get in the car and they went on to have their own lives. Um, and so I think... I, I I will go back and listen to that episode of yours and hear that song because now I want to know that. I want to know that, Maria, and the idea. Um, you know, as a kid, I hated the short story, um, The Princess or the Tiger. Um, I almost mentioned that yes. the, earlier the uh, with Tucson Train when, yes. I, when I brought that up because yes. that's it's that kind of ending. Like yes. how you feel, where you're at right now with love – will will lead you to think like is is she you know whether whether your notion of love in the moment is to feel hopeful or cynical about it will determine is she on the train or isn't she yeah what's behind the door that's so funny that you mentioned that and i think as a as a high school student when i first read that story it it i i needed to know the answer you know same, what yeah, is the answer here. what is the answer um and and but for me, I believe that Mary gets in the car, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean I'm right. right. And and I think that the people who say she doesn't get in the car are just as valid. And um, Schrodinger cat, princess and the tiger, whatever you want to do, um, it explains I think a little bit of the genius and the beauty of Bruce that this song, this beautiful heartbreaking song can be interpreted either way yeah 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 i think um sonically it's the opposite of dan fogelberg's old lang sign yes oh that's which, a really good point which he's he spells it out you know mm-hmm. in a heartbreaking way you know that she drove away and and the snow turned into rain and then the music just is this somber here comes a new year. Here comes another year. So like, uh, but sonically, the endings are opposites. And so that's kind of what I'm thinking of now as I remember how triumphant the end of, of Thunder Road sounds. I had not thought of that connection. That is beautiful. Um, okay, now I can't edit any of this out because I want <laughs> them to hear that part. Um, Kevin, I hope you had as much fun as I did. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Thank, thank you. you so much. No, thank you. Um, tell us again how we can reach you. Oh, yeah. Um, my website is just my name, kevinheider.com. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff. All my music is on uh, Spotify, Apple Music, Google Play, Bandcamp, where, wherever you get music, it's it's probably there. And, and uh, whatever podcast apps you use as well, um, my song and story podcast is on there too so yeah yes please go check it out um please send kevin some feedback and tell him what he you think of the podcast what you think of the songs um ohio is the album um get it nebraska 
Ohio. Um, and uh, it's it as we're all being sheltered in place and looking for entertainment, um, this is a good 40 minutes you can give and you will enjoy. You will be a happier person uh, for um, taking this journey of music with Kevin. So I appreciate that. Um, Kevin, please stay safe. Please take care of your family and your friends. Do what you need to do. You know, we'll have to have you on the show again. We didn't even get into Bruce on Broadway or Western Stars, the film. Oh, man. Or I know. Stuff. So um, maybe we can uh, later this summer just sit down and talk again after all the kids are asleep and we can talk another hour and a half. <laughs> oh, my gosh. No, I, I, this was a lot of fun. I'd love to anytime. So, okay, yeah. Sounds great. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, Set Listing Bruce. Set Listing Bruce is part of the Southgate Media Podcast Group. The theme for Set Listing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. That's so funny. So I will take that out. If you have that kind of moment, yeah, I will take that out for you. Well, I, I appreciate it. I'll All let right. you know. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. All right. Uh, any questions? I don't think so. All I right. was just listening to the your latest episode as I was setting up here. Yeah. And I laughed out loud. Which one? Oh, I, I, don't, I don't know his name. Uh-huh. Uh, hold on. Let me pull it up. Oh, Rob Carmack. Yes. I laughed out loud. It was like four minutes in. Well, see, he, he, <laughs> go ahead. When, when he, he said when he said he got fired from the mega church for making fun of the jumbotron, yes. that was so funny. Sorry, lost. You know, sorry, no, I lost the gig. No, it's perfect. And see, Rob is the guy who wouldn't edit out JB saying the wrong thing. Oh, that's funny. So yeah, um, Rob is just. I just. He's just a wonderful guy, and and. Um, he restores my faith in men of faith, if that makes sense, right? Yeah, I mean, of he, course. He truly is someone who cares about people and wanting to do the right thing. And sure. uh, and they, you know, talk about that. Yeah, but <laughs> that is funny. He got fired for making fun of the Robotron. That was a good story. That's so funny. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett.
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.